0: I love the words of that song. They say, I want to be where you are, God. I want you to have your way in my life. And when you think about the words of that song, you say, do you really believe that? Are you really willing to be where God is, even if where he is is uncomfortable? What if God having his way in your life means facing your greatest fear or going into the unknown are doing something that's going to be incredibly uncomfortable and incredibly stretching. Do we still want to be where he is? I do in my head. I'm just not sure I do in my heart. God's going to turn to Moses and say, "Hey, all these plagues haven't worked out yet. The Pharaoh is still unrepents. I want you to go again to the Pharaoh. I want you to again approach him, and he's going to reject you again. And it's going to be more fear, more rejection, more pain." But if you want to be where I am, you've got to take these steps of faith. And if you want to be where I am, know that I'm going to work in the midst of this difficult circumstances enough that you're going to have a story to tell your children and your children's children about what I did today through these signs and wonders. So as we sing this next song, ask yourself again, do I really want to be where God is, even if he's calling me into deeper oceans, calling me into deeper places of uncertainty, deeper places of of, of difficulty. Make the next song really a prayer. Say, God, yes, I am willing to go into the ocean if it means being closer to you. Father, we are so thankful that we are no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to what we do or what we don't do. Father, we no longer find our identity in our own works, in other people's approval. We will not be enslaved to any of those fears any longer, Father. Instead, we declare today, individually and as one body, that in Christ we are children of the Most High King. We find our love, we find our security, we find our worth in that identity. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, today we're going to look at how God is trying to help a group of people again get free and find their identity in him. We're going to look again at some more Egyptian gods, one we've heard about already, and one is a new one that has been controlling the area of Egypt. The two gods we're going to look at today are Osiris, which we've heard a little bit about. He was a fertility god. He took care of the Nile. He took care of the vegetation in the land. He had been chopped up in the mythology in pieces and had been put back together by his wife, Isis. So he was a resurrection god. And he was in charge of the Nile. If he took care of the Nile, your business, whether it was a pottery business or whether it was the food you ate off the trees or the vegetation in the world, you trusted Osiris to be your protector for your vegetation. The other god we're going to look at is Nepri or Neper. And Nepri was a god who was in charge of protecting I'll go ahead and put this on the screen behind me if you would. Uh, is a, a God who took care of the grain. Oh, well, maybe we can't. Well, Nepri was in charge of watching over the uh, the grain. And so there was a grain offering. Oh, there, she, there he is. And so all of the vegetation in the land, your food, your provision for the land would be taken care of by Nepri. So much so that they had a hymn they would sing that would actually talk about not only Nepri, but also Happy, who was also a God in charge of the Nile. And the hymn went like this: "I was grain maker, beloved of Nepri, happy, honored me on every field. None hungered in my years, none thirsted in them. So anything that involved hunger or thirst, and the fields was provided by. need some help? Was provided by and taken care of by these gods, Nepri and Osiris. And so what happened was, as you're interacting with these two, the uh, the challenge would be." that you are trusting in them to provide for the vegetation. And and so God is going to send locusts, and these locusts are going to come, and they're going to attack the vegetation of the land, all of the green, all of the herbs, all of the different uh, vegetation in the land, and say, listen, you think Nepri and you think Osiris can take care of you, they cannot control and they cannot protect your crops. And what we're going to find today is that The locusts not only become a historic reality of what happens, but they also become a metaphor for what happens. Because Pharaoh will continue not to repent of trusting in these gods rather than the God of the Bible. He's just going to continue that journey. And his journey is our journey because unrepentant rebellion is like a locust that just slowly eats and nibbles and eats and nibbles at your life's harvest. And because these two gods were fertility gods, the engaging of worship with Nepri and Osiris was always a highly sexualized uh, experience because you were engaging in fertility with the, the, the gods and they were then going to reward you by giving fertility to the vegetation in the land. And the god of lust, which comes in many, many forms, is the same kind of god that will begin to devour your life's harvest. Just think about all the different types of lust there are that can eat away at your life. The lust for more. More and more and more and more. And you're never quite satisfied because there's always this lust for just one more thing, one more item. And that lust, like a locust, will eat you alive. There's a lust for revenge. You find yourself not being able to stop thinking about what they did to you, what they deserve. And that lust for revenge begins like a locust to eat you from the inside out. Certainly when it comes to sexualization, the lust for pleasure and pornography and needing one more and one more and one more and one more, it never satisfies in that lust for pleasure. The lust to escape, the lust to keep up, the lust to pay back, the lust to control anything and everything. And sometimes we have some circumstance in our life that we're lusting after. God, you better fix this. God, you better heal this. You better bring that prodigal son or daughter back. And that becomes not just a desire or a hope or a dream. It becomes a lust. So much so that you're so lusting after that, you want that thing more than you want God himself. And so that lust becomes your driving force in life. Because you say, God, sure, sure, sure. If, you, if I can use you to get what I really want... And that becomes your God. And whatever flavor of lust we all struggle with, and you're like, wow, I didn't realize I struggled with lust until you gave me the list, becomes like a locust that would just move across the harvest of your life and begin to eat. I want to show you a quick video from a, a locust attack in Africa. So you can get a feel for the scene of what the Egyptians are going to see in the next couple of verses of, of the passage. And also get a feel for what it looks like when you leave these locusts unchecked in your own heart, how they begin to eat away at your own life. Let's watch.
1: Triggered by the rain, an all-devouring army. Locusts. emerge from eggs buried in the sand, gathering into columns which may stretch for 10 kilometers. At this stage they can't fly, only hop, but it doesn't hinder their progress. cords devastate any fresh growth in their path after five weeks of steady munching the infantry becomes airborne. Cover up to 80 kilometers a day, but only while the food and moisture last. So, how do you define a desert in Africa? There are places where less than 50 centimeters of rain falls a year.
0: Well, it's one thing to hear about locusts, it's another thing to see it, right? The kind of devouring power that's going to happen in Egypt, the kind of devouring power that's going to happen in our own lives if we don't deal with these things. So looking at the two plagues, we're looking at reasons why we should repent, and then real practically, how do you repent? In hopes that we can avoid a lot of heartache and a lot of pain in our internal life as well as our external life. So let's look at some reasons from the first plague as to why we should repent. Reason number one we see in the first verse. Locusts are going to eat crops for generations. If you don't deal with some of these lusts before they begin to grow and expand, they're going to eat crops for generations. The Lord says to Moses, I want you to go back into Pharaoh again, and I've hardened his heart. I've made firm his decision to reject me, to be rebellious, and I've made firm in the hearts of his servants. But here's why I'm doing this, that I may show these signs of mine before him. I'm going to demonstrate my power over his God's, And I'm going to create a story for you that you can tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons. So notice I underlined that. Your children and your grandchildren are going to hear about how you interacted here. The power of you taking on and liberating the people is going to impact generations. As you tell them of the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them. And here again, the last part of the verse, that you may know. That the people may know that Nepri is not the God, Osiris isn't the God, that I am the Lord. I am the master. I am the one in charge. And you see how he says that what you're doing in good is going to affect generations, children and children's children. But the opposite is true. In the same way that goodness and obedience and blessing can be passed on for generations through freedom, so too can lusts and patterns in our life be passed on for generations the locust we let into our life, the locusts we refuse to kill and deal with, end up affecting generations in our family line. I mean, where do lusts come from? Where do these bad habits come from? The media? Sure. Culture? Yeah. From family? Definitely. I talked to a guy about a month ago. He was talking about in his early 20s, he struggled with pornography. And as he began to trace back his struggles with that becoming more and more of an addiction... He said, I'll never forget where it began. Because I uh, as a kid, I was, I was hanging at Grandpa's house. And I'd go to Grandpa's house, and I loved hanging out at Grandpa's. And, and one day, uh, I decided to sit down over at Grandpa's, and, and I went into the bathroom. And so I sat in the bathroom, and, and we were about to go outside and play. And sitting right next to the toilet were magazines. And I pulled one of them out. And it was the first time I saw a Playboy. Grandpa left it in the bathroom. And he said, that was the beginning of an addiction in my life. And because grandfather had not taken purity and faithfulness seriously, it got passed on to his son and now to his grandson as he unleashed locusts of patterns and normalizing this behavior in his life. So one of the reasons we need to learn how to repent is because it's not just affecting us, it's affecting our families and it's affecting future families as well. Whether it's discontentment and the lust for materialism, and that get passed on for generations, the lust for revenge or pride or arrogance, those patterns spread. The second thing we notice is the reason we need to repent is that locusts keep eating while we're waiting. Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews. How long will you refuse to humble yourself? How long? Why do you keep waiting to turn to me to recognize that I have power over your gods? Let my people go. That they may serve me or else I'm telling you, the consequences that are coming your way are going to be painful. If you refuse to let my people go, if you refuse to humble yourself, if you refuse to repent tomorrow, I am going to bring locusts into your territory. Now, notice the word tomorrow. If you remember from the, uh, the plague we looked at from the plague of the frogs, God had turned to Pharaoh and said, all right, when do you want the frogs gone? And Pharaoh says tomorrow. Really? You don't want just now? Tomorrow, I'm still in charge here. So God sort of flips the script and says, "You remember last time tomorrow I did what I said? Now I'm telling you, I'm going to do what I say. Tomorrow, consequences are coming. You've got a short window of time to repent. You better repent. Because let me tell you how bad it's going to be. I'm going to bring locusts into your territory, and they're going to cover the face of the earth. No one will be able to see the earth. He's talking about the, the area of the earth. It's an idiom for the area that Egypt controlled. They shall eat the residue of what is left. Remember, the hail destroyed a lot of stuff. But these locusts are going to eat the rest. And they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. Often while we're waiting to repent, we think that things are neutral. But they aren't. The years you spent not dealing with your anger and your lust to be in control... Our years, the locusts were eating away with those habits into your family patterns, into the things you cared about, and into the things you loved. Locusts don't wait for you. Locusts keep eating while you're waiting. And the locusts, the different plagues have been destroying Egypt while he's been waiting to repent. And they're going to do even more so in this, this plague in this chapter. So reason number three we need to repent is that uh, continues on this next passage. They, these locusts, shall fill your houses. Here's how bad it's going to be if you don't change. The houses of all your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither. And here's that generational piece again. Your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen your grand You've seen some locusts before. Not like you're going to see your father saw some things. Your grandpa told you some stories. Not like this. What's going to happen tomorrow is like nothing you've ever seen before for generations. So please repent now before it comes. But Moses turned and went out of Pharaoh and he did not repent. Which brings to our third third reason is that you're only fooling yourself. Oftentimes we don't want to come face-to-face with admitting we struggle with gossip or we have a lust for for revenge because we don't want people to think we're that kind of person. But here's the truth. Everybody around you already knows you're that kind of person. The only person you're fooling is yourself. And we see this in Pharaoh very clearly. Look at this. The Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long? Same thing God said. Yeah, what God said. How long? How long? Will this man be a snare to us? What you're doing, what you're not doing isn't just affecting you, it's affecting all of us. You're fooling yourself and saying, Well, it's just hurting me, it's just a private thing, it's just a secret thing. I'm not hurting anyone. Yes, it's a snare to us. Let these men go, that they may serve their Lord their God. Look around, Pharaoh. Do you not know that Egypt is being obliterated it's being destroyed because of your lack of, of repentance your lack of letting them go but Pharaoh thinks he's fooling everybody but as we see even his servants get it i remember we had a, a situation about 12 13 years ago where somebody in the church was spreading some gossip and was beginning to create some division and so as the elders we were praying about who's going to address that and somebody picked a short straw and uh, they had to go and uh, have that conversation. Say, hey, listen, we've heard some things. We've heard that they sort of originated with you. And uh, the Bible says we're supposed to take pretty clearly um, divisions, a pretty serious issue. And so if you've got an issue, you know, go talk to the person directly. But we cannot have this kind of gossip. And I'd say this person responded great, which is very rare. And said, you know what? That's right. I did that. I am sorry. I will go apologize and I'll go reconcile. And that is rarely the case. Usually, we're more like Pharaoh. I didn't really gossip. I mean, I wouldn't call it gossip. I'd call it a prayer request, really. I mean, I, 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 clearly they had a problem, so I was asking so-and-so to pray about it with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember knocking on my door years ago, and my wife knocked on the door and came in and said, You've got to help. Said, What's going on? I just opened the computer and found files and files of pornography, and my husband's meeting me here, and I want you to help us. Because this is something that is obviously taking over his life. So we sat together that evening and talked and talked about some ways to put some parameters in place and begin to dig into what are the reasons that led to this addiction. And, and he said, yeah, I got it. Now I am going to I'll take care of this. And then pretty much, you know, poof, heard nothing about it for three years. Three years later, he approached me again and said, oh, I wish I had taken care of that. I didn't. I just pretended that I did. And now I need to confess I've had an affair. And I need you to help. See, he'd been fooling himself. And those locusts that he felt like went underground, they came up for a second to deal with, oh, this is not me, that's too much shame, too much guilt. Instead of wrestling with and dealing with that, he just kept letting the locusts go to the point at which even more damage occurred. He was only fooling himself. Which brings to the fourth reason we need to repent. It's in the next part of the passage, and it's. Locusts can be killed, not controlled. And one of the challenges we have is we think we can control. I'm just going to let a little locust in my life, just a little anger, just a little control, just a little perfectionism, just a little pornography. But notice, Pharaoh is not trying to kill the locust or kill the lack of repentance in his heart. He's trying to control the situation. It's hilarious. Verse 8. Moses and Aaron were brought into Pharaoh. And Pharaoh thinks he's in charge. Look at him. So, and he said to them, this Pharaoh talking, go serve the Lord, your God. Now, by the way, who are the ones that are going again? And Moses said, we're all going. The young, the old, the sons, the daughters, the flocks and the herds. We all are going to go because we're all going to have a feast before the Lord. He said to them, and here's Pharaoh giving Moses advice. This is so hilarious. Well, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your children go. It's tough out there in the desert. And, you know, as your friend, Pharaoh, I just want to let you know that when you're heading out to the wilderness, you know, it's tough out there. You're going to really need God because, you know, I've been taking care of you. Our God's been taking care of you. Now you get to depend on this this sort of God you got. So beware, he says. It's evil out there. Not so. But you know what? Now, Now that I think about it, I don't think everyone should go. I'm going to let you go. But I'm only going to let the men go, not the women go. And so you can go serve the Lord for what you desired, but only the men because you'll come back for your wives and your daughters so here's an example instead of pharaoh dealing with his unrepentant heart he's trying to control the situation okay well you can have a little bit of liberty but not all the liberty okay well i want to control it so i want to make sure you come back so i'll take the in. Okay, no, no. now who's going who's not going it's exactly what we do instead of repenting god i am wrong I am just wrong, wrong, wrong. I have a lot of things in my life that I know are wrong and I have because my grandpa did it and my dad did it and because it's been a family trait, I just say, well, I always get angry. I'm Irish. Instead of saying, well, this is wrong, God. I've got to repent of this. I've allowed this into my life. We try and control and manage the situation just like Pharaoh does. And here's why, fifth reason why we've got to deal with this. And it cannot be more clear than in this passage. It can. Get worse. Always. You think after all these plagues, it can't possibly get worse. It can always get worse. The Lord said to Moses, all right, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts. They may come upon the land of Egypt and they're going to eat every herb of the land. All that the hail has left. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, that can't get worse. Every herb all that was left. I thought the hail was bad. It can always get worse. So Moses stretched out his hand over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought in an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locust. and the locust went. It gets worse. Over all, not a little bit, all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. And they were very, Very severe. Previously, there had never been such locusts as what happened this day. Nor shall there ever be after this. And at this moment, you're thinking, wow, it cannot get worse than this. It can always get worse. And as a team over years, volunteers and staff, I'm just always amazed at how hard it is for the human heart to hit rock bottom. Every time you go, oh, that's... But the person you think has hit rock bottom says, well, it can't get worse than this. And so they don't repent. (coughs) Can't get worse than this. (coughs) And it gets worse. Look at the next verse. And they, the locusts, covered the face of the whole earth, all of the Egyptian area, so that the land was darkened. Now they're not only crawling, they're flying. And so now you can't even see the sun because of all the locusts flying in the air. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or the plants of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Nothing, no green in the whole country. Every square corner of Egypt is impacted. It can always get worse. And so when we tolerate pride or unthankfulness or materialism or lust, Or the need to have something we lust after more than God. It is just eating away and eating away and getting worse until we repent. Which is why God says we've got to take this seriously. My need to be a victim that I don't think affects anybody and gets my needs met. Because when I'm a victim, people affirm me. Is destroying healthy relationships. That addiction. Every time somebody said, come on, this has got to be rock bottom. Let's get some help. It's going to get worse smothering of your children to to get your identity out of what they do and the thing you love that relationship gets destroyed it gets worse by your smothering discontentment begins to eat away at your your joy blaming other people instead of taking responsibility it gets worse and worse until like this week i talked to a friend and this man's pride is something he just refuses to repent of he's lost his relationship with his son his daughter his wife his business his career and everyone around him is saying, come on, Dad, come on, come on. We want to be in relationship with you, but you've got to stop doing that. You've got to stop being so right all the time, every time, never wrong. No, you're all wrong. It just keeps getting worse, and he's losing everything, just like Pharaoh. But it looks like in the next verse Pharaoh repents. Oh, my goodness, way to go. Pharaoh, you did it. Verse 16, so Pharaoh, seeing all the devastation, seeing all the locusts, not being able to see the sun, calls for Moses and Aaron in haste. He says, oh, my goodness, I have sinned. This is repentance, right? I've sinned against the Lord and against you. Remember that phrase? Put it up here. I've sinned against the Lord and against you. Sounds like repentance. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once. Entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Well, look at that phrase. He's not that he wants to recognize God as God, repentance, or turn from his gods, Nepri or Cyrus. Take away the consequences. Is this repentance or is this a desire for relief? And this is always the stage we go through. Instead of turning to God as God, we turn to God as a thing we can use to make relief from the consequences of our own actions. It goes on. So he went out from Pharaoh. This is so amazing. How gracious and kind and merciful God is. Despite this manipulative repentance, God says, all right, one more piece of mercy, one more piece of grace. So Moses goes out from Pharaoh and he says, God, would you remove these consequences from Pharaoh? And the Lord blew a very strong west wind and took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. And look at that. There remained not one locust left in all the territory of Egypt. But now that the consequences are gone... Pharaoh's heart hardens and God confirms his decision not to let the children of Israel go. Pharaoh didn't have repentance. Pharaoh had a scheme. A scheme on how to manipulate God into getting what he wanted. It's a scheme. He's scheming with God. How can I get rid of these locusts? Not repentance. And that phrase, really interesting phrase, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you, is used by Jesus in the story of the prodigal son. There's a prodigal son who leaves his father, takes all of his money, says, Daddy, you're better off if you died so I could get my money. Takes his inheritance, squanders it, ends up wasting it all. Things get worse and worse and worse to the point he's eating or longing to eat the food he's feeding to the pigs. And he says to himself, i got a scheme. Even my father's men eat better than this. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I will say, and here's the phrase from Pharaoh, I have sinned against heaven and against you the prodigal son is not a story of a repentant son it's a story of a scheming son and a great father because he never gets to give this speech to manipulate his dad because his dad is already waiting on the edge of the field and sees his son and before he gives the speech says son you're home i'm so glad to have you home And the story of the prodigal son is really the story of a great father who goes out to a rebellious son who's trying to manipulate him and goes out to a religious son who's angry at him. Showing us that we can be lost in our religion or we can be lost in our rebellion. And when you repent, you don't try and manipulate God. You try and find the father's heart and say, I want to be near the father. But that's not where Pharaoh is. So instead, these locusts, this unrepentant rebellion in his life is like a locust. that just keeps devouring and devouring his life's harvest. So how do we repent? If that's why we should repent. All right, Chad, you convinced me. Now how do I do it? Three quick steps. Step number one, we need to renounce alignments we've made with gods of lust. What we've learned over the last few weeks is that habits, bad habits, are alignments we make with, with evil forces, demonic forces even at times, because we're aligning ourselves to something that's not God. So instead of just trying harder, we need to say, God, I'm going to renounce these alignments I've made with the gods of my culture. One of the gods that we're going to see in this next plague that speak to how to do this is the god Ray. He was the all-powerful god who gave light. In fact, the pharaoh, Ra, was an ambassador of Ra, and they were supposed to be in charge of bringing daylight, which provided for everything. And God is going to say, the thing about gods, foreign gods, evil gods is they pretend to be your friend. The New Testament says it this way. Satan appears as an angel of light. He comes into your life and says, hey, this is going to help. i got some things that are going to help you out. And what they do is, evil presents darkness as light. And so you think you're doing the right thing, and meanwhile you've given yourself over to darkness. It sounds like this. Oh, don't worry about that. Actually, doing a little bit of this will help your sex life. No one will get hurt. I wouldn't call it jealousy what I'm doing right now. It's more like i feel sorry for them i only do it when she's not home it's not gossip if i don't say who who it was it's not really envy again i just feel bad for their situation and what happens is when we begin to take those phrases say those phrases connect ourselves to those phrases articulate those phrases we are making alignments with foreign gods so we need to renounce those look what happens the lord says to moses stretch out your hand toward heaven That there may be darkness over the land. You see, the 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 gods who say they're light are really dark. And I'm going to show you the darkness that really is in them. And I'm going to cover the land with darkness. And Ray and Ra have no power to bring real light. I am the only source of light. And this darkness is going to be so thick it can be felt. It's an evil darkness. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven. And there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. And they did not see one another. In the darkness. Nobody sees each other. No one got up from their place for three days. They're just hiding out in their house, scared to death about the darkness. But the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And here's how, if you want to walk and grow as a follower of Christ, you need to say, I want to continue to walk in the light. See how it says that the children of Israel had light in their dwellings? Boy, I'm not surprised to find out i got a brokenness. I'm going to bring my gak and bring my addictions and bring my lust and bring my materialism and bring my, my envy and bring my impatience. I'm not scared to bring this stuff into the light because God's already forgiven me for it. And so I love bringing my dirty laundry out before God so he can, he can work with me. The contrast to that is when you align yourself to Ra or rah, you say, no, no, i got to hide in the corner. No one can know I struggle with this. Nobody can know this is something that's going on in my life. What would people think of me if they, if they found out that I had a, a revenge problem? But instead of just trying harder, I put a prayer in your program, but I'll put it up here on the screen. This is a prayer that I would just encourage you to say out loud. The reason you need to say it out loud is because evil forces aren't omniscient. And when you speak truth out loud, it breaks those allegiances. It renounces those ties you've made with these habits. So this is a prayer I put in your program so you can use. I would pray this every day. I would pray this several times a day whenever one of these new things pop up. Lord Jesus Christ, I renounce my old nature and allegiances with other gods that are tempting me toward whatever you saw that day. Anger, gossip, envy, jealousy, lust. I know that left to itself, it's wicked enough to lead me astray from you. This old nature. I count that dead to sin. It died with Christ on the cross. And I declare that I am alive to God in Christ. And I ask you to rule and control my emotions, my lust, my anger, my my tendency to talk. I give over to you my mind, my will, and emotions to your control of being alive to you. That's a powerful way that you can actually renounce these allegiances you've made and invite God's power into that. Say, God, I want you to be in control of my life, not to have this God in control of my life. Two, we need to not only renounce those allegiances, but number two, we need to come out of the darkness. To have somebody in your life before God and somebody else that you can say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I, I want help. Notice what it says in the passage. They're in darkness for three days, hiding out, scared. Oh, my goodness, hiding out. Nobody can see me. I can't even see any other people. They don't even want to look at each other. But the children of Israel are walking in the light. So one of the things you need to do is say, oh, my goodness, Chad, give this long list. And if if you don't struggle with any of them, maybe you should do a seminar because the rest of us have five or six on that list. To say, oh, wow, you know what? There's at least two of them there. And I need to come out of the darkness and say, wow, I need to deal with this. This is a real problem. My need to be needed, my victimhood, whatever it is, has become a lust. And to bring that out in front of somebody else and invite God to, to, to begin to walk in the light is going to be the process of repentance. And then thirdly, this is what we'll end with. We must sacrifice to the one that we worship. We always sacrifice to the one you worship. If you want to know what you worship in your life, I'll tell you an easy way to find it. Look where your thoughts go, your money goes, and your time goes. If you have a moment where you're quiet and you have nothing to think about, what do you think about? That's probably the thing your mind goes toward is what you're sacrificing to. So if career is that thing... And you give all your time and all your energy and all your efforts to, to there. I, I guarantee if that's your God, you've been sacrificing your health. You've been sacrificing your hobbies. You've been sacrificing your marriage. You've been sacrificing your kids. We always sacrifice to that which we worship. If your kids are your thing, they're not just a good thing. They're the ultimate thing. I promise you, you're, you're sacrificing them. You've sacrificed your marriage to be a good mom or to be a good dad. We always sacrifice the thing we worship. And we see that here as Pharaoh speaks to Moses. He says, all right, fine, fine, go serve the Lord. Only you can't take your money with you. You can't take your flocks and you can't take your herds. They're going to stay back here. And we'll even let your little ones go. you got the little ones, you got the moms, the dads, your wives, but no sacrifices. And Moses says... That's ridiculous. You must also give us sacrifice and burn offerings. We can't go serve the Lord if we're not going to sacrifice to the Lord. That's how worship works. Our livestock will also go with us. Not one hoof is going to be left. God is liberating all of us. Verse 26. For we must take some of them with us to serve the Lord. And even we do not know. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we get there. We're going to get there and God might say he wants all of it. We'll give him all. God says he wants half of it. We'll give him half. We're going to sacrifice to God because he's our God. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. He says, get away from me then. And Pharaoh says, all right, you'll never see my face again. Where does your money go? Where does your time go? Where do your emotions go? It'll probably tell you what the real number one thing in your life is. And if that is not God or Christ, it's a time to reevaluate and say, I need to renounce that thing that I've turned into the ultimate thing. I need to come out of the darkness and say, God, I want you to be number one. And I'm going to begin to align my heart, my life's worship, to making you number one in my life. And if you do, you're going to find freedom and grace and mercy and a God who is in the liberation business. He can't wait to help you step out of your locust moments to find freedom. Because that's what he's all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for liberty. Thank you for working with even a broken heart like Pharaoh's. And God, I ask that you convict us today. Draw us today. Sing songs of freedom to us today that we would no longer be addicted to fear and addicted to worry and addicted to ourselves, but we begin to be longing children of God who want to walk in freedom every day aligned with you and we ask this in Jesus name amen amen we'll thank you for being with us today if you came prepared to give uh, there's some offering boxes on your way out if not we'll see you next week as we continue our journey through yet another Egyptian God